Hello and welcome to Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking. Thanks for joining us. I'm Malcolm Borthwick, Managing Editor of Intellectual Capital at Bailey Gifford. What are the chances of living until 105? Well, if you're a child born in the West today, it's over 50%, according to the authors of The 100-Year Life. A century ago, the chances were less than 1%. More of us are living longer, staying healthy for longer, and working for longer. So what are the implications for investing and financing this longer life? I'm joined by Stephen Hay, who's joint manager of Bailey Gifford's Managed Fund, and also the Multi-Asset Income Fund. But before we start, some important information. Please remember that as with all investments, your capital is at risk and your income is not guaranteed. And this podcast has been recorded during the coronavirus pandemic. So Steve and I are both at home, as opposed to in our usual Edinburgh studio. But first, the idea for this podcast was inspired by the 100-year life, living and working in an age of longevity, by Andrew Scott and Linda Grattan. I started by asking Andrew what the options are for financing our longer lives. So most people go straight to that question when they discover kind of what life expectancy trends imply for them. And obviously a longer life means you have to save more. But I think that's probably not the main way of looking at the challenge. You probably also have to work for longer. And of course, if you're going to work for longer, you have to think about a whole bunch of things. You've got to think about your skills. You have to think about your relationships. Uh, and you've got to think about your sense of purpose and motivation. So I think the real implication of a 100-year life is actually thinking about investment and your portfolio in much broader terms. Investing more is certainly part of it, and investing differently is part of it. But actually thinking that actually your life is what should be driving your finances rather than your finances driving your life. And that longer life means that this three-stage life that we invented in the 20th century of education, work and retirement, I don't think it can be stretched out to last for 90 or 100 years. You know, you'll be working to your early 70s. And if you think about that, that's a long, long time to work. So it's thinking differently about all aspects of life planning. And of course, that means thinking differently about financial planning too. Stephen, I think the really interesting point that Andrew mentions there is about your life driving your finances as opposed to the other way around. A lot of these choices are very individual, aren't they? Yes, I think that's right. And and one of the themes that comes through from Andrew's book, which is a really interesting read, is the need for individual responsibility in terms of, of your life and you taking charge of it and getting your finances to work for you. We've got some more, much more pension freedom than we used to have, but it is about the individual understanding um, how they're going to want their finances to work for them during their life and how they're going to be able to achieve that through the through their different investments. And the second big point there is that we need to have an awful lot more flexibility in terms of how we invest uh, in, for our retirement and how we think about that and the, the, the investment savings products that we're able to access to help us through that period need to really improve in terms of how they're described to people, how they're explained to people and how they do the different jobs that people will need them to do for them in order to fund that longer retirement. Are we saving enough for our longer life? I don't think we are. No, I think I think the, the amount the average person is saving is, is, is woefully short of, what, of what's required. So part of the answer here is is to save more, um, and the, that in combination with you know working a bit longer in different ways and having you know the right investments and the right investment approach is what is going to get us to the point where people can enjoy 
uh, a long and happy retirement. So what are the different mix of assets that we should be thinking about for uh, the longer life? Well, it, it, it really does hinge on, on those growth assets and equities are um, the, the primary growth asset. So f- for, for me, it would be a case of you want to keep your pension pot invested in equities for as long as you possibly can. As they talk about in the book, equities have traditionally delivered something like 6% return over and above inflation, whereas fixed income has delivered about 2% above inflation. And I think there's a lot of doubts about whether that even that number would be able to be achieved in the next 10 to 20 years. Now, when it comes to the point where you are looking to get a bit more stability, then you will be introducing other assets in there. I would personally question whether some parts of the fixed income market that traditionally played this role are as suitable going forward. Certainly in the current conjunctural environment, it doesn't feel that they'll be playing as good a role given guilt yields are so close to zero. Um, although there are parts of the fixed income market that can still play a role, and who knows how this will change over the next 30 or 40 years. But um, one of the things I would also add is that you'll be looking at some point to start generating an income from your portfolio. And traditionally, this has been done through buying an annuity. Um, this is just so expensive to do that it just does not make sense for people, in, in my opinion. Um, and I think it, it's, it, we will not be able to afford these longer lives and longer retirements by, by doing that. So it's about generating a natural income from your portfolio. And there's lots of different ways of doing this, but there are some great assets that we think we can put in portfolios instead of your traditional government bonds or corporate bonds. Things like infrastructure, where you have um, very steady, regulated streams of cash flows. Um, they're not 100% guaranteed like on your fixed income side, but we, we believe they're very steady and can be extremely good income producers while holding the value in real terms. So there are, there, are, there are other options there, but as you approach that point in life where you do need to bring, to get an income from your, from your portfolio, it's important to have a, a mix of assets so that you have a good diversification across the portfolio to make sure that you, you are able to supply your, your needs in terms of your spending needs um, over time. So without annuities, how can investors generate a stable income? Well, of course, the traditional way has been an, an annuity, and it's it's something that is you know really important for people to feel comfortable with that they have that reliability of income during the retirement. And you know, I, I know from my dad who um, he has he he does have some annuities uh, or annuity from a from a previous pension, uh, but he does rely on, on a, an investment portfolio of mainly of UK equities to to supplement his income. And what what we've seen in the last uh, three to six months has been a, a fairly huge dividend crisis in the UK, with almost fifty percent of UK companies uh, stopping their dividend. And this has had quite a big impact on on him in, in terms of his uh, the income flow that he's expecting this year. And I feel this firsthand because uh, we both go to the rugby together. So we go to we go to watch Glasgow Warriors, and he normally pays for my my rugby season ticket very kindly. But this year he came to me and said, do you know what? The, the income I'm going to get from these investments is, is, is going to fall so much that uh, would you mind paying for it yourself this year? And of course I said, that, that that's absolutely fine. But it, it does illustrate that 
you you really do want to have that reliability. And it, of course, an annuity gives you that. But given how expensive an annuity is these days, what we have to think about is, well, what could what could act as, as an annuity replacement that would give enough stability of income, but that wouldn't be as expensive as an annuity. And that's where that's where you need to think about income producing assets that can be blended together to give you a diversified source of income. So if you're very reliant on UK equities um, to pay your income, then you may you may suffer what, what you've just suffered. But if you can blend that together with a global equity portfolio, which has been a, a bit less exposed than just the UK, and if you can also blend that with um, infrastructure assets or some property and some bits of the fixed income market, such as emerging market or corporate bonds, where you get you get a, a, a decent yield, then even if one of those areas does suffer some lower income, then you have other bits of income which can supplement it. So people can build their own portfolios to do this, um, or you can you can invest in a multi-asset income portfolio to do it. But the the, the what you do need to do uh, is have a stability of income. So that's where you know we are really looking for those types of investments because we know that people can tolerate a little bit of volatility in their income, but any any more than say about ten percent um, fall in income would be something that would be really too much for people to tolerate. I think what's interesting here is the psychology. It's very easy or it's easier for us to judge what we need here and now, but it's much harder to judge what we need in the distant future. Yes, I think that's right. There's there's um there's a, there's a very widespread of of evidence in the academic literature about how much people think they will need um, in their retirement. Interestingly, what Andrew and Linda do in the book is they say that they they think people should aim for fifty percent of their 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 last working income for their for their retirement. So that's what they think is a fairly conservative number. And they think that, that 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 should more or less take account of 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 your spending needs. But there's you're right. There's a huge variation. Some people think they need a hundred percent of their pre-retirement income. Other people think they can survive on much less. But a number maybe around fifty to sixty percent is probably round about the the number that people should should think about in terms of the amount of their pre-retirement income they will need um, as they go into their retirement. And how do you view this personally, Stephen, in planning for your longer life? Yes, interesting one. So, well, just to put it into context, I'm just approaching fifty. So, yes, these things do, these things do come to mind. Um, I have six children, so there's 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 not as much opportunity to save as I would like at the moment. But the way I would think about it is that that as certainly as once I'm in my sixties, I would think very much about more flexible working. So maybe scaling down my hours in the investment job. Um, and something I've always been very interested in is is in psychology and counselling, uh, and that's that's a, a bit of training and counselling, and maybe doing a bit of counselling uh, as part of my working week. Um, I'm also really interested in bikes and and bike mechanics, so perhaps working in a, in a bike shop or, or or helping to repair or recycle bikes would be something that I would I would quite like to do. So certainly ideas on what I could do to generate a bit of income, maybe less during my main working career, but something that can help me not have to go into my pension pot as early and therefore leave my my growth assets um, for as long as possible. And then 
once I'm, you know, maybe in, in my in my seventies, later and maybe mid to late seventies, and I, I'm not really wanting to do much of even those those types of jobs, then I, I will be scaling down my work commitments, and I would think I would be switching into income producing assets at that point. So into the the assets such as those infrastructure or those equities that do provide a good income, um, and something that's definitely diversified and, and more stable. And that would hopefully um, provide enough income for me to, to live off. And then as, as you move into the really later years, um, when you're in drawdown phase, uh, I probably will want my assets to be in something much more stable, um, more like more like fixed income, where I'm just really drawing down that capital um, over, over the last years of my life. But fascinating topic, and it's something that I, I do think about quite a lot. Thanks very much for joining us on the podcast, Stephen, and I hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you. But before we go, let's go back to Andrew Scott, who we kicked off this podcast with to have the last word. I asked him, is a hundred year life a blessing or a curse? <laughs> so, I mean, the hundred year life is, you know, a child born today in the West has a very plausible chance of living to a hundred. But there's all sorts of debates about whether it's 500 or the improvements are slowing down. And um, so the question then is, you know, what do you do with your time and how healthy are you? And the more you can invest in that future, the more you prepare your finances, your skills, your relationships and your sense of purpose, it should be a blessing. However, if we carry on uh, behaving as if we're going to live to 70 and we live to 100, then it isn't a blessing. There's that's, that's the reason why that longevity insurance is so important, making sure that you don't outlive your assets, relationships, purpose uh, and health. Andrew Scott ending our podcast there. And you can find short briefings on long-term thinking at bailegifford.com forward slash podcasts and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify and TuneIn. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please spread the word. In our next edition, we'll be focusing on China and looking at how the coronavirus pandemic could accelerate divergence between the East and West. What are the implications for investing? Tune in to find out. And many thanks to Lord of the Isles for the music. The track we've used is called Horizon Effect, which was released on permanent vacation. And if you're listening at home, stay well, and we look forward to bringing you more insights in our next podcast. Mm-hmm.